Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. I've grown up a whole bunch since I was 12 years old. It's a good thing, right? Uh, I think back when I, was, I turned, the year I turned 12, I was in the sixth grade, and man, I, I knew a lot of stuff, right? Like I thought I knew probably a whole lot more than I actually knew. And we had a teacher that year. Her name was Mrs. Cordes. And I think it was her first year of teaching, I think which is too bad for her because I was in her class. Uh, her husband was at seminary, going to seminary there in, in Kansas City to study for the ministry. And, um, but so she was trying to, to corral a bunch of sixth graders that included people like me. And, and I, uh, I remember you know, very clearly early in the sixth grade year at some point in there where she was writing something on the board and by perchance she wrote and she actually misspelled the word. Sixth grade boy. <laughs> Mrs. Cordes, Mrs. Cordes. And she stops, what? You, you spelled that word wrong. I was endearing myself to her. <laughs> right? And so, you know, whatever, we go through the year. And I, I don't remember, probably the second half of the year, um, I, I decided to write a poem. And I wrote a, a poem, two-page poem. And this is back in the mid-60s. So things are kind of free form, you know, we're experimenting with all that and I have all these lines and saying different things and about every fifth or sixth line I wrote, but Mrs. Cordes is still her old self, which I'm sure she'll be, which seemed relatively innocent to me. I, and I don't know what came over me, but she was walking through the classroom and went, hey, Mrs. Cordes, Mrs. Cordes, I wrote a poem. I wrote a poem. Do you want to see it? You want to read it? Yeah. So she takes it and goes up and sits down, and while we're doing class, she reads it, and I'm watching, and she doesn't say anything to me. You know, this is about six times in the poem that Mrs. Cordes is still her old self, which I'm sure she'll be. <laughs> School comes the end of the day, she doesn't say a word, we leave. I'm there the next day, I'm wondering what she's thinking about this. Finally, in the afternoon, she hasn't said anything, and once again, she was out and about in the classroom there, and I, I said, Mrs. Cordes, did you, did you read my poem? She said, yeah. And, um, okay, and then she didn't say anything. I said, well, can I have it back? I mean, I wrote two pages by hand, right? Can I have it back? And she says, I think I may have thrown it away. And I don't know, once again, what came over me. But I said, you better not have. One of my kids, if that story came home to me about one of my kids, they'd have been in trouble, right? And she just, her face got red and she stood there and looked at me and like bit her tongue, you know, didn't say anything and, and walked up and a little, just before school ended that day, she said, Mr. Graham, would you come up here? Okay, so I come up and she says, here's your poem. The end, no other comments. No other. Um, she didn't throw it away. That's good. In fact, it's still someplace in my house today. Um, but this is going to become pertinent later in the sermon, okay? All right, so we'll come back to Mrs. Cordes. Um, 
But anyway, I've grown up, thankfully, a whole lot since I was 12 years old. So we've been talking in here out of Colossians and all the theology of you know, our union with Christ and uh, what that means, what happened that moment when we received Christ, when we acknowledged that we were a sinner in need of a Savior. We put our faith in Jesus because he died for our sins on the cross, rose again. And by the way, if you haven't made that decision, you need to. You really, really do. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, please reach out. We'll help you to understand and be able to make that decision. But so we got all this theology of the things that we, that we need to believe so that we can think right about things and act right about things. But it is a lot of intellectual stuff, a lot of ideas, very important ideas, but ideas. And so the question is, how does it actually apply in our lives? And so that's what we've been looking at, uh, talking about the practical results of your union with Christ. And go ahead, go if you would to that slide there and then to the next one, Eduardo. Go ahead. There you go. So we've seen, first of all, that there are things in our lives that need to go. Remember? Go ahead and go to that slide if you would. Thank you. Nope, the next one. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Sometimes slow up here. There are things in our lives that need to go because they don't match who we are in Christ. We're this new creation. We've been made righteous and holy inside. Some things aren't righteous and holy. They shouldn't belong in our lives. The second thing is that there are things that need to be added because they do match who we are in Christ. Attitudes, character qualities, uh, we need to be consciously adding. And, and the picture that Colossians gives us, and actually it does in Ephesians as well, but the idea is the things that need to go, it's like taking off the old man, old sinful man's cl clothing and putting on the new righteous man's clothing or woman's clothing, okay? All right, so this brings us to the third thing that we're going to see here, the third practical result of this, and that is this that there are things that need to change in our relationships so we can properly express what our relationship with Christ is like. Just to give you a real quick you know, thought here, as I just connect the, my the story about Mrs. Cordes, is you know, uh, whether I was right or wrong in what I said, my attitudes were wrong. And so it, it would, not that I was, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but the idea is it would certainly get in the way of communicating things that would be true about God. And so in our lives, we have to look at, examine them and say, maybe there's some things that need to change here. Uh, because if they don't, I, I'm not really able to express what it means to have a relationship with Christ. So today, part three of practical results of your union with Christ. And so let's take our Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. That's page 1355 that's in the Bible under the chair there in front of you. We encourage you to follow along if you don't have your own Bible with you. All right, so chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, and just let me, let me just comment on this now so I don't have to later. Um, he's using the, the illustration of um, slaves and masters. And, and again, think when you think slavery in the Bible, New Testament particularly here, don't think of American slavery. It wasn't like that, but somebody had basically, they had, they were either, their master owned their labor, okay, and they had to work for their master. 
Uh, they weren't free to go do something else. They had to, to work for him. And uh, so for us today, the, the, the analogy or the comparison would be employers and employees, okay? That's the context in which we're talking, which would apply to us, okay? All right, so verse 22, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So we see these relationships, and we're going to work through those in, in a little while here. But we see this, these relationships and the roles that we have and the responsibilities that we have. And as Christians, we don't think that these are all just random. Yeah, you have certain relationships, you have roles. It isn't like that at all. We see, when we want to see this from a biblical worldview, in other words, how does God show us what, how this works in the Bible, the Christian worldview, we realize that these things are God-ordained and purposeful. God-ordained and purposeful. Our relationships, our roles in those relationships, go ahead and go to that slide if you would. Thank you. So these are ordained, God-ordained. There's purpose in these things, our relationships. God is the one who set up relationships, as we will see. See, God has determined what our roles are in these relationships and what our responsibilities are. And we see that this is not just about this horizontal thing, you know, us interacting together like this, because along the way here, he says this to those who are the servants or the employees, but it applies really across the whole list. And that's, he says, for you serve the Lord Christ. So this relationship that you have, this is one of the ways that you serve Christ. The roles that you have in that relationship, that's how you serve Christ. And the responsibilities that God has entrusted to you in those things. This is how you serve Christ. So these things we're talking about uh, are not just how to get along kinds of things. They're about accomplishing God's purposes because he is the one who has ordained these things. And it makes sense in light of Colossians because you guys remember we, every week we look at this verse. That what is Colossians about? Colossians 1.18. That in all things, what? He may have the preeminence. Okay, so in our relationships, our roles, responsibilities, he should have the preeminence. Now, why did God establish these relationships and these roles and responsibilities that we have in him? First thing is to help us serve him. Okay, we go back to Genesis chapter one. God is setting up the world and he has things he wants to do and he creates man, makes man and woman in his image. And then he tells them, okay, go, multiply, fill the earth and Manage the earth for me. Okay, that's what he's saying. And so we have a husband-wife relationship that comes into that. We have a parent-child relationship that comes into that. Um, and then to provide order and protection in society. He establishes government and author the authority for government and our, our relationship with it so that we can have order. I mean, if, 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 if nobody put up any stop signs or stoplights, it would be perpetual old Kelly Square. <laughs> right? 
Everywhere would become that. So the idea, order, right? Government does things to provide order and safety, protect us from evildoers, to encourage those who do right. That's what God says the government is supposed to be doing. And then to shape people's character. Because I think one of the hardest things to do is to be under someone's authority when they don't do a very good job of that. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so it's those areas that we begin to have our character shape. We learn, we grow, we learn to trust God and, and how does God want me to respond when, when things aren't the way I think they ought to be, all right? And so this is, these are some of the reasons why God established relationships and the roles and responsibilities we have in it. And then what are these relationships and roles that God has set up? Well, God ordained roles and responsibilities are in the family. Okay, we see that, we read some instructions about that here today, right? It's in work and business. Uh, so in the family, let's step back in the family. So the husband has been given the responsibility to, to lead his household in a way that, and notice I didn't say rule over his household. There, I'm getting ahead of myself, okay. Um, but he's to lead his household in a way that leads them to love God and to honor him and to serve him with their lives for everybody in the household. That's what he's trying to do, to shepherd that household. Uh, his wife has been given responsibility of serving with him in that as an equal partner. Uh, and uh, the children are given the responsibility to listen to their parents and to cooperate with them as they raise them up. So these responsibilities are given. And then in work, uh, in business, we see this, right? There's an employer and there's an employee and there's a relationship there and there's a purpose uh, for what's going on. And then in government, in the community, I mentioned this a little bit already, and as well as within the church, there are ordained roles and responsibilities. But those last two are not in our passage today, so we won't be talking about them. Now, when we find ourselves in these relationships, sometimes somebody needs some authority to carry out their responsibility, okay? Um, have you ever been in a situation where there's a work or could be family or whatever, but where you were going to be held responsible for something, but you were not given the authority to do it? Have you ever experienced that? That's lousy, terrible place to be. Well, God didn't set it up that way. He set up this idea of authority. So God has authorized people to fulfill the responsibilities that he has given them. By authorized, he has given them authority. Now, we're going to talk, finish talking about all this stuff about authority before we actually look at the passage because I think that will help us maybe as we wrestle with some of those things that are there. This idea that God has authorized people to fulfill the responsibilities given them, the idea of authority... Uh, I really like the idea of authority when I'm the one that's been given to, right? I'm not such a fan when authority is somebody else. I think it comes natural to us as people who were born with a sinful nature and wanted to rule ourselves by our nature. But so let's talk about this idea when God gives authority. First is this, that no one has any legitimate authority in and of themselves. Legitimate authority only comes from God, okay? Um, and what I'm, what I'm talking about here is that, um, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. All right, so this authority is always entrusted by God. In other words, I can't say, well, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm the head of my household, therefore I have authority. Well, no, no, 
I don't have authority just because of who I am or some of the position I hold. I have authority because God has given me a, this responsibility. He says, you're authorized to do that. You have the authority to do that. Okay? Now, so no one has any legitimate authority in themselves. It's always entrusted by God. And secondly, all human authority given by God is under his authority. And it's limited. It's limited. So, in an employer-employee relationship, God has given, and, and I understand we're talking about a world that doesn't know God and all that, but we're still talking about how God set this stuff up, whether they live by it or not. The idea is he's entrusted this employer with resources to accomplish something of value, and those resources certainly include money, maybe possessions, maybe skills, but also People who work for him, those are also resources. We call them human resources, right? Probably the most valuable resource that any employer has. And so he is to steward, be a good steward of all of these things to accomplish God's purposes for his work, okay? Now, that means that he has measure of authority. He's been authorized by God to make the decisions related to those things. To say, hey, to this employee, today I need you to do this, or I want you to do that, or let's, we need to stop doing that, or we need to change how we're doing things. He has the authority to make those kinds of decisions in a way that sh uh, shepherds his resources, and so in a way that is also good for this employee. Okay, that's the way it's supposed to work. Now, what he does not have the authority over is to, when the employee leaves work, to say, hey, you can't drive that kind of car. You need to get a different kind. He doesn't have that authority. He doesn't have the authority to tell him what he does in his free time. See, his authority is limited. You know, he doesn't have authority even over his employees. Like if there's, they're on break and there's a conversation, they're having a conversation, he doesn't have the right to say what they can talk about or not talk about. I mean, if they're causing a problem in the business, that's another issue, right? I'm just saying, he doesn't have that. He can't say, oh, that political position cannot be expressed. I mean, he doesn't have that authority, okay? And our laws try to figure all that out and how it applies in practical ways. But it is limited. In the home, and I already kind of mentioned this, so the husband, we see that he has, there's, there's some authority that he's been given in the marriage and in the household, but he can't, he doesn't have this carte blanche authority because he's the husband or the father. He doesn't have that. In other words, a man cannot tell his wife what she has to believe. That is between her and God, right? He can't tell her that she has to abide by his preferences, okay? That's not what God gave him authority for. God gave him authority to love her and to lead her, uh, to know the Lord and to become who God wants her to be. And, and like I said, I keep getting ahead of myself here a little bit. But you see how this works? That God has given authority. The authority is real. The authority matters, but it is limited. Okay? And, and that's important. So, here's something that we need to grasp as Christians. That God's people should willingly submit to legitimate authority. In other words, as a Christian, you ought not to have to be dragged kicking and screaming to do what your authority tells you to do. We should willingly submit because remember we said right in the beginning, who are we serving in these things? Who are we serving in those authority relationships? We're serving the Lord. 
That's right. We are serving the Lord. Let me see, I, I got something here I don't want to forget to tell you. And I want to see where this right. It's not here yet. Okay. All right. So legitimate authority. So this idea of willingly submit. This is a submission that's genuine. It's from the heart. It's not a grumbling submission. I remember years ago, a, a, a woman that I knew, her and her husband, and they were a great couple, and they loved God, and they you know, served him with their lives. They were great evangelists. And, but we were having this discussion one day in a, a Bible study about what God says here, and she said, well, yeah, I know I have to submit to him, but I don't have to like it. <laughs> well, she might be technically right, but that's the wrong attitude, right? We need a willing Submission, a heart that's willing to do these things. And so uh, what does this idea of submit mean? Well, the word submit that's translated submit and sometimes translated obey means to arrange yourself under, okay? So we have the word, and here's this person that's been granted authority, whether it's husband, a parent, uh, uh, an employer, a government leader, a church leader, whatever. When we're to submit to them, this is us, we, we arrange ourselves under, we put ourselves under for the purpose of helping and cooperating with the person who's in authority over us, okay? So it's not being crushed down, it's about coming under to work with the person who's in authority. Why would we do that? Well, because who established the authority? If it's a legitimate authority? God did. And so we come under to serve the Lord in these relationships. Now, this is also important to understand. Authority that is not authorized by God is illegitimate. We don't need to obey it. Now, I'm going to elaborate here in just a moment. But let me say, this doesn't mean that there won't be times you choose to just go along because it makes the most sense to do that. We're not talking about becoming a rebellious person. But we are saying that, no, that authority is, you know, that's not of God. I don't have to do that. We see this example with Daniel. You remember Daniel? You know, they asked him to eat food that from his perspective as a Jewish man that God had told him not to eat. And so he appealed to them, can we try something different here? He didn't just rebel against his authority, but he said, let's try something. And they, the, the authority said, okay, and they did it. And he uh, ends up changing their diet because it works so well, God's diet. We know this from when Daniel, remember Daniel? They said, hey, you gotta stop praying to God or you're going in the lion's den. He said, well, can't stop praying to God. And they threw him in the lion's den. <laughs> sure enough, but God rescued him, okay? We see the apostles being told, you can't preach in this name of Jesus anymore. And they say, well, you know, I'll tell you what, you're gonna have to decide what you wanna do about it, but we're gonna keep preaching in the name of Jesus because the Lord has told us to preach in the name of Jesus. And so then they, I think they beat them and said, don't do it, but of course they did it anyway. Why? Because that was not a legitimate authority. They were telling them to do things that they couldn't do. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of authority and what makes authority legitimate and illegitimate. All right, illegitimate authority is when it's in a relationship that's not established by God. In other words, God didn't establish this relationship with responsibility and authority in it. In other words, if we want to talk about this submission thing between husbands and wives, well, God has said something about that. God never said that women are supposed to submit to men or vice versa, right? That's not a God-ordained thing. 
And so if someone wants to hold, well, I'm the man, so you have to listen to me, that's not legitimate authority. You see what I'm saying? It makes sense a little bit? Okay. Um, another example of this. Okay, that's right. Hold on. Just bear with me, because I had a lot of intertwined things this week that I really felt like we needed to cover. Um, so that's right. It could also be for purposes that God has not approved. In other words, if someone in authority tells you to sin, you have to what? You have to say no, because I answer to God. God has never approved of, is never legitimate authority from God if they're telling you to sin. It just isn't. And once again, you don't have to cop an attitude, but you can say no. Now, this is where Mrs. Cordes comes back into the story, right? And I don't have more story, but I want you to see that in some sense, I was technically correct. She did not have authority to take something that I had written and, you know, she voluntarily took I voluntarily gave it to her to read it, to throw it away. Right? She just did it. Now, I was not right in the way I handled it. And I, I knew at the moment I said it, that was not, how, where'd that come from? Can't bring those words back. But so the idea is that we need to have hearts that are surrendered to God, we're yielded to God, to his authority, and then in different circumstances in life when he places under us under someone else's authority, we need to have a heart that is surrendered and submitted, willingly submissive, cheerfully submissive. Now you're taking it too far, Walt. But seriously, because I ought to see this. Wait a minute, this is God at work. Even if this authority is not the greatest authority and doesn't always, I, don't, I wouldn't do it this way, but they're not asking me to sin and this will just, you know? God is at work in my life because God is the one who established that relationship and gave me that responsibility. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it's really starting to see it as differently, okay? Um, Yes, so we, we just we need to do that willing. But the idea is that illegitimate authority, your kids do not have to obey some other body else's parents. Right? I mean, as a parent, I would tell my kids, you respect them, right? You respect them. In fact, like I told you, my parents, if they had known what was going on with me and Mrs. Cordes, they probably would have put a stop to it and told me I needed to change my attitudes. Okay, uh, but so we um, need to view this idea of authority differently. It's, it's given by God, it's established by God, and all the things we say, well, what about this and what about that? Well, a lot of that's covered if that's not legitimate authority. You don't have to do that. But if it is legitimate authority and you're not being asked to sin, you need with a cheerful heart try to go along with it because God is the one who set this up. And he uses imperfect humans all the time. Right? Yeah. Including you? Yeah. Okay. All right. So now let's talk about how Jesus viewed authority, what, how he models this for us. So in um, the Gospel of Mark, 
we have a record, actually in three of the Gospels, but of the disciples getting in this dispute about who was going to be the most important when Jesus finally set up his kingdom, right? I'm going to take this role, I get role. No, you don't get that role. I get that role. And they were arguing back and forth, and Jesus has to set them straight, okay? And so he does. He, says, he stops them, and then in Mark 10, he says this. He says, but Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, and by Gentiles he means those who weren't Jewish people, they weren't the people who didn't have the word of God, they didn't have a relationship with God. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So their perspective, the, the Gentiles, the unsafe people, those who did not have a biblical worldview, their view of authority was that it gives me uh, the right to do whatever I decide. I can lord it over you, right? Whatever I want, that's what goes. Why? Because I have the authority. There was no sense in which, no, the only authority I have is whatever God has entrusted to me for specific reasons. The person had the authority. I have this authority. I can use this authority. And then he continues. He says, yet it shall not be so among you. That's not a Christian view of authority. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. So this idea that if you are getting authority, then there's something that goes along with that. Okay? And it's coming to realize I have a limited authority that's very purposeful. Okay? And then Jesus gives, talks about himself. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come. Go ahead and go to that if you would. But even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Who had the most authority on earth when Jesus was walking around? Right? I mean, he could have claimed absolute authority over everybody and anything. And he has it. And what does he do with it? He humbles himself and serves others with it. So right away, well, I'm not getting ahead of myself again. In, in um, another uh, passage of scripture, as the New International Version translates it, very interesting, let's look at it. Philippians chapter 2. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Let's just stop right there. See what they're saying? That is, he has this authority. He is God. And yet he isn't using that authority for his own advantage. Rather, go to the next slide, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he, not taking this authority to use for his own, and his purposes are always perfect, so how is that? You know what I mean? But he, didn't, he wasn't viewing it that way. He was viewing this authority that I am going to serve these people who need me. And so we see this from Jesus. Authority is a tool for serving others. So if you have, you're already in an authority relationship where you have been placed in authority over something, you need to drive this deep down into your soul and into your thinking that this authority that I've been granting is a tool for me to serve others for their well-being. And that'll give you pause when all of a sudden you're the one who has to make a decision. 
wow, I can't just do what I feel like here. What's really best for these people I'm serving? That God has put me in authority over these people in this situation. What's really best for them? And it may cost me a lot. All right, so let's look at our passage now. So authority is a tool for serving others. Back in verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. All right, so let me read the next verse too. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Now, this relationship is, is interesting. It's unique in this list. And really in most of the lists related to authority in the scripture because marriage is this relationship that uh, God has ordained should reflect and show his relationship with his people, right? And we go back to the very beginning in Genesis. He said this is the idea they are one and a oneness there, okay? So authority gets tricky in that setting, okay? And... Uh, so this idea of exercising authority, but it says this, why submit to your husband, own husbands as is fitting in the Lord? Okay, this idea of fitting means appropriate under the circumstances. Now, what are the circumstances? Well, the circumstances start off with, hey, God is the one who said, I need to do this. That's always part of the circumstances, isn't it? And the second is, what are the circumstances that are going on? Okay? And so you, you don't disengage your brain or your heart. You're involved and you can have conversations about these circumstances. You can disagree and all this. But here's the thing. When it comes, at least this is, it's the way it fleshed out for Glenda and I. And you talk to her about how she dealt with that and role. I mean, she had to live with me. But where I came to see this is when we worked together. Um, I didn't always do a great job of that, but we were together about these things, right? We, we how, what do you think we should do? I think this, well, I don't think that's a good idea, or this, and talk, and talk, and talk. And it wasn't until, okay, now we're at a place where a decision has to be made. What do we think? And we, what do we think? And that's fine when you both agree, what happens when you don't agree? And the time has come. The decision must be made. And my sense is that God then has entrusted that authority to the husband to make that decision. Now, here's the deal. And I've, I've done this. I, I've made the decisions that I, that I thought was best. But there were times when I said, you know, this just isn't that clear. I, I'm going to go with what Glenda says. You see what I'm saying? It isn't about I make the decisions at all. And so it's, that's the kind of thing in this oneness relationship the way it needs to be. And again here, the idea of husbands, love your wives, do not be bitter toward them. That word bitter uh, is, is, is the idea of being harsh. You know, if you pick up a cup of coffee and it is so bitter, right? It's, it's don't be like that to your wife. Don't be harsh to her. Don't be angry uh, with her in these things. Okay, so husband and wives, that's there. Children and parents, verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in all things. Now that's a, that's a big area of responsibility, isn't it? And it's just not like adults 
who are, we're talking about children, see, who, who aren't able to uh, always understand and make the right choices, that they are to submit to their parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Uh, the chil- <laughs> well-pleasing means gratifying, fully acceptable. That's what the Lord wants and expects. By the way, do you know, in the scripture, you know, God grants husbands some measure of authority in their married relationship, okay? Limited, but he grants it. But he still talks directly to the wife in the scriptures. Tells her what to do, how to live her life, right? To serve me with your life and to take your gifts and serve me and all that kind of stuff, right? To be a human being just like her husband, okay? And live for him. In the Bible, God, as near as I can tell, does not speak directly to children about them as children. Only thing he says to kids is, listen to your parents. He doesn't do what your parents tell you to do. Now, that's limited too, because if a parent tells a child to sin, the child, if he knows it, the child needs to say, I can't do that, you know, all of that. But God's speed, so this, it's in all things. It's, 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 how many of you use kids always said, oh, this is so nice. God has given my parents authority. It doesn't come natural to us. But nonetheless, this is what God said, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. And then it says fathers, and we could say mothers here, but fathers are more likely to do it maybe. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This idea of provoke means to irritate or make angry. You know, moms and dads, we need to... If I were going back and doing it again, there's a number of things I would do different, and it would have been much more with a consciousness about this kind of thing. Um, If you want to talk to me about it, I'd be glad to talk to you about that more. Um, So, employers and employees now. This is the longest section, because maybe it's the most complicated, I don't know. Bond servants, employees, obey in all things your employers, according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Okay, so anything related to this role that you have there, the employer, the employee, anything that's related to that, anything that's a legitimate authority here, you need to do what they say. Not with eye service, not just when they're looking. You've worked with people like that, haven't you? That they were really good at working when the boss was around and not so good when he wasn't. He says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. As men pleasers, no, I'm gonna, no sucking up, okay? You don't do that. We're not about pleasing people like that, but in sincerity of heart. This is what we already talked about, right? With attitude from your heart needs to be willing. I'm willingly doing this because God has put me in this place to serve him this way. And then we use this verse for lots of things and it applies lots of things, but it was said in this context, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. All right, so he says you go to work, and you're working for the boss, but who are you really working for as a Christian? Jesus. Working for the Lord. So would you work differently if Jesus was there telling you what to do? Well, see, that's the way we need to see it. This is from the Lord. He's the one who has put us, uh, done this here. And so I need to do it heartily. I need to be serious about it because I fear God. I have a relationship with God and this matters. I need to 
to live this out for the Lord. And then he says here, we, we look, right? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. So you can find yourself in a situation with an employer who's not a very nice employer, who's not, not a good person, uh, and you don't necessarily like what they do and you wouldn't necessarily do it the way they do, but they haven't told you to do anything that causes you to disobey God or sin. And so you do it. And you know that that boss, he isn't going to care that you did it. Now you're not going to get rewarded because you did what he said. They didn't care about you. But who does? The Lord Jesus. He will reward you for serving that way. By the way, in the United States of America, uh, you are free to find another job. <laughs> True? Okay. And then uh, it continues here. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. In other words, if, you, uh, if your employer is wrong and then you do what's wrong, you're both going to get judged for doing what's wrong. There's no partiality. And then he tells the masters, the employers, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the golden rule. How would you like your master to treat you? How would you like your boss in heaven to treat you. Well, treat your employees that way. Okay? I think you should get t-shirts and wear it to work for that verse. Uh, okay. So, real quick, I had a, a friend when I worked uh, at the Boston Baptist College years and years ago, and our uh, executive vice president was a retired Air Force colonel and he kind of ruled like this. He was a nice guy, but mm, 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 right? And um, the, the dean of students there, that's a long story how we got to this place, but one day he and I were talking, I said, how do you do it? How do you, this is hard. How do you work with this? And he looked at me and says, I don't work for him. And he wasn't really having a bad attitude. He's just telling me, I don't work for him. I work for the Lord. And yes, he's the one that the Lord has put me under, so I do what he says. But in my mind and my heart, I'm serving God. And it set him free. Okay? So we need to remember those things. Now, so it kind of boils down, what I'm hoping by where we've come to today is this, that as Christians, as Christians, we should understand being in authority. Okay? If we are placed in a position of authority, God has granted this authority, this authority is limited, and is a what? Is a tool for serving others. He's given me the authority to make decisions and do in a way that's good for these people. I'm serving, okay? And then we ought to understand being under authority, that if it's a legitimate authority and God has put us under it, then he's working in our lives. He's gonna shape us and we need to come underneath and to be a part of that and what God is doing. And then this, you need to submit to legitimate authority even if you don't like it, even if it's hard. God will change you if you will do that, okay? Huge, so this whole idea there is because it, it, it's really about what? It's about submitting to God in that relationship whatever authority relationship it is. It's about submitting to God. All right, go ahead and skip the next slide there, if you would, Eduardo, and uh, go to this one. How does our union then with Christ affect our lives in practical ways? 
the things we need to change in our relationships. Maybe you don't need to change anything. You've got it all nailed down. But the idea is from what comes natural to us to what God wants us to be. We need to make changes in how we do our relationships so we can properly express what our relationship with Christ is like. Uh, someone grumbling under someone else's authority is not in a position to really express what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Okay. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to see and understand these issues of authority and the relationships you put us in and, and our, our roles and our responsibilities in those relationships. Help us to see them clearly and help us to see, Lord, that if we've been granted authority to do something in that area, that we do it in service to those who are under us. And if we find ourselves underneath that authority, Lord, that we willingly arrange ourselves under it and, and cooperate with you as you work through that authority. I pray, Lord, that we would be a different people than the world around us because we see things like this and, and, and live this way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.